Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to Fantasy Football Today, DFS. My name is Sia Najad. I am your host for the Tuesday show. It's the solo pod. Mike McClure will be back with us on Thursday for our game-by-game preview. Let's talk a little bit about Week 7. We're going to go through our lineup recaps, and of course, we do my favorite thing of the week, which is the early look to Week 8. I'm really interested in this slate. There's a few games I'm really interested in, maybe some contrarian games I'm interested in as well. Again, we attack those games more specifically on Thursday, but I love doing the early look. There's a lot of plays I really like, so everybody stay tuned for that. Everybody hit the like button. If you're in here right now and you're watching this, please hit the like button. If you have questions, I am going to try to get to them at at some point in the show. I prefer the DFS-related questions, but if we have time and you have redraft questions, not only can I answer them, but we got Zach behind the glass uh, who can answer them as well. So at some point, I'm going to bring him on the show because I do a lot of redraft, but Zach is doing redraft. He's all over Twitter doing redraft. So uh, put your questions in there. Again, hit the like button. Review this podcast if you haven't already. It literally takes like one second. Um, That's like I'm using literal, literal properly there. It actually takes one second to hit five stars if that's what you think about this show. I will say our contest is live. Our 200 person, 200 entry contest is live as we speak. So go ahead and enter that contest. It's actually attached to the YouTube link that you're watching right now in the description. It's also going to be attached as usual to our link in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your uh, wherever you get your podcast. So definitely click on that. Before we get into our lineup recap, and we're going to pull my cash lineup first. Before we do that, I do have to congratulate our FFT DFS contest winner, M-T-H-M-A-P-G. Okay, we're going to have to come up with a more catchy name, guy, if, if uh, or girl. If uh, you're going to be winning these 200-person tournaments, I don't know. We got to change that Twitter name because that does not roll off the tongue. But MTH Map G, congratulations. You had an amazing lineup that we're going to look at in about 10 minutes before we do our early look. But let's get started. I got to say, Zach and I were talking before the show. It was kind of a depressing slate for me. This was uh, this was one of my my worst. Mike had a great day. I mean, because he, you know, he told everybody do burrow to chase, double stack him if you want. And that's what that what's that's what Mike ended up doing. And a lot of people, I got a lot of tweets. It was really cool. A lot of people had a lot of success. I got to be honest, you guys saw my my top three. You guys know what my cheat sheet looked like. It had a a lot of Lamar Jackson in it. Some with Mark Andrews, which obviously didn't work out. Some naked, you know, just solo dolo by himself. And some with Rashad Bateman taking a shot at a 5,200 Rashad Bateman. You know, those lineups didn't work out. I still cashed in my cash lineups, um, but my tournament lineups were pretty much dead once Lamar kind of faded and Joe Burrow went to town. So congratulations to everybody who followed Mike's advice. Again, he'll he'll be back here Thursday. Uh, but I got to be honest, with DK Metcalf going out early in that game, I had a ton of DK Metcalf. With Brees Hall going out early uh, in, in his game after that long touchdown, that was pretty depressing. I didn't have a ton of him in DFS, but that's just it was just so hard to see. I mean, if, for those of you in redraft leagues, 
you know, your investment in Brees Hall was paying off and it was about to pay off for the rest of the season. He was going to be a top 10 back rest of the season, in my opinion. And he tears his ACL on just a nothing play. It's just very, very unfortunate. A lot of other injuries this week, some that are going to implicate week eight that we'll get into. But let's do our lineup recap real quick. So this is my cash game lineup. As everybody knows, I had Lamar Jackson as, as my cash game quarterback. Now, there's an argument there that Perhaps that wasn't the play because we know Joe Burrow was popular in cash games. And we know Mike McClure, uh, it recommended Joe Burrow, not just in cash games, but in tournaments as well. So uh, I certainly could have gone Joe Burrow there. I just really liked the upside of Lamar Jackson, not just in tournaments, but of course in in cash games. And I thought he had a reasonable enough floor with his rushing yards that he would – probably not crash and burn in cash games. Well, I was wrong about that because that floor really never came to fruition. 59 rushing yards is a pretty good floor, but when I'm talking about a floor, I'm I'm talking about at least one t- touchdown pass as well, maybe a rushing touchdown or at least, you know, 180, 200 type, you know, passing yards with some rushing yards. And honestly, he had been averaging about 75 to 80 yards per game over his previous few games. So I really thought the floor was more like 15 points for Lamar Jackson, but I thought the ceiling was somewhere against that Cleveland Browns defense, somewhere in the 35 range. So didn't work out for me there. But as you see, this cash lineup, well, it ended up cashing. And here's why. So I had Lamar Jackson with obvious Ken Walker. We had a lot of a lot of obvious running back plays that everybody should be playing as of late. We had it the week prior as well. Ken Walker, Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler. They account for pretty much all of my points with the exception of another fire emoji in DJ Moore at 1.3% ownership in cash. Interesting. So I, you know, I thought if you were going to jam in a receiver at a low price in cash in particular, I thought DJ Moore would get a little bit more consideration. I want to apologize to everybody listening because while I did bring him up on Thursday, I wasn't like fanatical about him. And I don't know how you you could have been, but with Christian McCaffrey gone, it just seemed like a, a good spot for DJ Moore, especially on DraftKings to suck up a lot of targets and a lot of low A dot targets, low average depth of target targets, like those Curtis Samuel type targets, just for the sake of comparison. What does that do for your floor for a $4,900 player? Well, it makes your floor somewhere between five and 10 points. And at 4,900, that's pretty good. And I'm just talking floor here, right? I'm not talking about, you know, median projection. I'm not talking about ceiling. And DJ Moore kind of neared that ceiling. We knew he was going to get peppered with targets. And frankly, coming into this week, this week eight, I kind of like DJ Moore again. He's similarly priced. He he only went up a few hundred bucks. And I think he's in a spot again to give you the floor that you want in cash and maybe potentially uh, give you some type of ceiling game. So uh, DJ Moore was my my best receiver, but I had a lot of a lot of um, snowflakes here. Romeo Dobbs, snowflake. Tyler Lockett didn't really get there with 11 points. A little surprising, of course, with uh, DK Metcalf going out. Turns out Marquise Goodwin got a lot. Uh, a lot of work with DK Metcalf going out as opposed to Tyler Lockett. And then, of course, I had Foster Moreau, who didn't really do me any favors. I mean, you know, you could have gone Moreau. You could have gone Kate Otten. Kate Otten basically doubled Foster Moreau's point production. But, you know, it's not like Kate Otten had an amazing game. He had about 10 points. And then I had Jets D. So just to recap, Lamar Jackson, Ken Walker, Josh Jacobs, Tyler Lockett, Romeo Dobbs, DJ Moore, Foster Moreau, Austin Eckler, Jets D. More evidence that you in cash games to cash, you only need to get a few right. It turns out here... The only ones I got right, really, were the obvious chalk. And again, I say this every week, but how good is cash, right? You you need to be in basically the top 49%. And all you need to do that is basically get your chalk right and maybe get one other guy with you know a, a, a 3x or a 4x in terms of 
price versus point production, which in this case was DJ Moore, but it, honestly, it could have been anybody. DJ Moore could have had a flat game and Tyler Lockett could have had, you know, maybe, you know, he was a little chalky, but maybe 10, 12 more points. And I probably would have gotten there. So again, more evidence that you should be playing cash games. Lamar Jackson was a nothing, basically. Romeo Dobbs was an actual nothing. Lockett didn't get there. Foster Moreau didn't get there. But because I played the right chalk at running back, I ended up cashing. So I don't think we need to dig too deep into this. I mean, Austin Eckler, we talked about him all week. We loved him in tournaments. We loved him in cash. We loved him as a run back in a lot of the tournament plays, as, as an exclusive and sole running back from that Chargers um, part of the game. And that that obviously ended up working out. Unfortunately, the Seattle points, other than Ken Walker, they didn't really – Obviously, they didn't come from DK Metcalf, and they certainly didn't come from Tyler Lockett either. So something to consider as we go forward in week eight, Marquise Goodwin might be a nice little play. Uh, We do have some questions in the chat. And Zach, if we have any DFS questions, you can go ahead and pull them up. Everybody, thank you for watching. Hit the like button if you haven't already. Uh, Derek Porter, Andrew, Crip, Brian, all all of you in the chat, uh, appreciate you. Andrew Kim has a question, and I'll read it out loud for all of you listening to the podcast. When you set a lineup, do you first stack two or more players first with or without a run back and then fill the rest of the positions? Or do you just fill it out in order based on your remaining salary? Okay, I want to make sure I understand that question. Leave it up there, Zach. I want to make sure I understand that question or just fill it out in order based on your remaining salary. Okay, so no, I don't fill it out in order. I mean, so understand this. Whether for cash games, I have a really good idea after that Thursday show. I mean, some value tends to open up between Thursday and Sunday, but after a Thursday game by game preview, I have a really good idea of who I'm going to play in cash tournaments, not necessarily um, as much as, as I do cash because things can really change and, and, and whatnot. But the, I guess the point I'm making here is I have a player pool. So I have a player pool that I do by myself. I don't use an optimizer for my player pool. Mike McClure. So the the contrast between Mike and I, I think is really good for this show because I'm more of like a hand build guy. I don't really, I might refer to optimizers for reasons, but I'm not necessarily using an optimizer to build optimal lineups and and, and fill out 150 lineups, things of that nature. So I think there's a really good dynamic with, with Mike and I. What I do is I go by every position, like I'm doing for the early look that, that we're going to, we're going to, basically do in about 10 minutes. I go by every position. And as the week goes, I sort of narrow down my, my player pool. And then I enter the, you know, the contest that I usually enter. And there was a question on Twitter about contest selection, which I'll get to towards the end of the show, but I tend to enter single entry contest, of course, cash games, which I refer to three maxes. I'll enter some of those that are, you know, might have 10, 20,000 people in them, but I also enter the smaller ones that might have 1,000, 2,000 people in them. I think that's really important because it's one thing to say, oh, I only play single entry because that's the smart way to do it. But you want to have some realistic single entry and some like slightly unrealistic single entries. And, and, and so you want to look at the contest size and the entry size when it comes to that. I mean, if you're doing a single entry because you think it's the appropriate thing to do because you want to be able to max out that tournament, but there's 50,000 or 100,000 people in it. Well, I mean, we, we got to really assess. Well, it's one thing to cash in the top 22%. Like that, that's realistic if you're watching this show, if you're getting your information from the right places. But you know, what, what's your top five potential there? What's your top 10 potential there? I mean, it's, you know, no matter how good you think you are, this is tournaments. So I do think you want to find some contests that have maybe 100 people in them, maybe, or if you think it's, it's shark infested waters, go to, go to a thousand, go to 700, whatever it is. 
So I would play around with the, the contest size as much as I would make sure that I'm doing single entry and three maxes and making sure I'm maxing out those tournaments. But to answer this question, Andrew, I don't, so I have an idea because of my player pool, like who I'm going to play. And, and I have a, a very good idea of like how much, for example, last week, how much Lamar Jackson I'm going to play, how much Lamar Jackson to Andrews or Lamar Jackson debatement I'm going to play, how much Burrow to Chase. So I already have a preconceived notion. So a lot of times I will fill out the lineup putting in my stack. So I'll put in, well, I'm, let's say I'm, I, I want to stack that Lamar Jackson game from last week, Lamar and Bateman, Lamar and Andrews. And then I, I go ahead and I fill out my lineup. But because of my player pool, I already have a preconceived notion of who's going in there. And then I'll do the next lineup and I'll do the next lineup and I'll, I'll make slight changes based on how big my player pool might be. But my advice for you is know who you want to stack in the lineup that, that you open up. You don't always have to have a run back. We preach that a lot every single week. A run back is great. Correlation is great, but it doesn't always work. There's not always situations like the, the Atlanta Falcons, for example. You really want to run it back with their two primary weapons of Drake London and Kyle Pitts. I mean, you can if you want, but I'd rather go to another game wh where there's a guy that's going to get a ton of targets and that's going to have a quarterback that's going to throw more than 14 times. So those are some of the considerations from a runback standpoint. But with all that said, because of my player pool, I have, a, I have a really good idea of who's going in the lineup before I even click the button, before I even open it. And it's just a matter of some of those small permutations as you build more and more lineups, hand build for that matter, and you know who, how much how much of such and such guy you want to play and how much do you not want to play? Like last week I had a ton of Lamar Jackson. So I went into a lot of lineups, just first button Lamar Jackson, some naked, some with Bateman, some with Andrews. And then I went to, you know, after filling out, let's say five or six tournament lineups, I went to the next stack option. And I, and I put in a lot of players that I had in the, in the first uh, tournament that I filled out. There's not a, there's not a ton of variance because my player pool tends to be uh, pretty narrow. Okay. So good question. Thank you. I hope I answered it. I think it was a kind of a convoluted answer, but I think the player pool part of that was important. So if, especially if you're hand building, I think you should really focus on what players you want to play at each position and then start to build your lineups as opposed to build your lineups and just be like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm, Pretty sure I like this stack. I'm pretty sure I like this guy. I think you should have a visual of, of, especially if you're hand building, of who you actually like at each position. Let's go ahead and pull up. Thanks for the questions. Keep them coming. Uh, let's pull up Mike's cash lineup. Mike did well this week. Uh, I'm actually kind of surprised he he didn't have a takedown. I think if he had a takedown, we would know about it at this point. So um, he absolutely crushed it. His lineups were absolutely electric. And again, all the Twitter love that we got this week. And again, if you guys benefit from some of this advice, I very much encourage you to get on Twitter if you're on Twitter and tweet it out. I mean, we we want to hear it. We want to hear that you were successful. And for that matter, if you did well, go ahead and review the podcast because that's kind of cool too. It's it's great for us um, for eyes on this podcast. But I was so encouraged by the the amount of people that actually listened and uh, played Mike's suggestions. We you you guys know some of you might be new to this show today. At the end of the Thursday show, we actually do Mike's top three at each position. I think that's that was a suggestion from the chat, for the record, from the listeners. And we take your suggestions, and I'm happy we're happy to take more of your suggestions in the future. But long story short, we did that, and I, and I think that's really catching on. We've got our cheat sheet. We've got our top three at each position on the Thursday show. And then we dive into each and every game, and we talk about the type of roster construction and the type of players we're going to use or not use in that game. So Thursday show is great. That'll be um, five o'clock. That time might move to, to earlier uh, this Thursday. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, Mike's cash lineup, Joe Burrow stacked with T Higgins and Jamar chase that you might think that's unusual, that type of stack for a cash game, but 
Mike is famous for attacking a game, whether it's cash or GPP. If he believes in the spot and he thinks he's going to cash because he has the right mix, he has the right stack, he'll do it in a cash game too. He did this last year too, and he was very successful. And that's why he has the point total he has here of 192.34. So he stacks it with the double stack with Chase and Higgins. Higgins obviously didn't get there, but he certainly didn't have a bad game. And he was seven yards away from getting that 100-yard bonus. He goes with the chalk at running back. Of course, Ken Walker and Josh Jacobs. He actually decides not to go with Austin Eckler. He goes double tight end, which you guys know he does a lot. Dulcich and Foster Moreau. That didn't do him a ton of favors, but it allowed him to double stack Jamar Chase, N.T. Higgins, and pay up for Josh Jacobs, who at 6,500, you know, you had to consider there was some salary going that direction. CeeDee Lamb is who really let him down at 6,800, but it didn't matter because he picked the right stack. You pick the right stack, you're, you're, you're probably going to cash in your cash lineup. So not much to say about this lineup. Certainly, CeeDee Lamb should have been better. I had questions about this game. We talked about it on Tuesday, and we talked about it on Thursday, how I thought the, the Cowboys' defense was probably going to stymie Jared Goff and the Detroit Lions, and we weren't going to have that back and forth like the game total suggested at 49 and a half. So that ended up come to, coming to fruition. Gallup had a horrible game. I was kind of on Gallup in, in tournaments, so that hurt me and anybody who listened to me. Um, CeeDee Lamb certainly didn't get there. You know, Pollard, Zeke, they, they did okay. I, I loved Zeke last week. I was very vocal about that. I said it was going to be the one time all year that I'm going to re- recommend Ezekiel Elliott. Fortunately, he got the touchdowns to get us there if you ended up playing him. But this is a solid lineup, a, a, a couple snowflakes, but this is a lineup that scored almost 200 points because he had Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. So, so congrats there. Let's take a quick look at my snowflakes, which is my uh, my GPP lineup. 148.20. This lineup did not cash. I picked this lineup specifically because I cashed a couple tournament lineups, but I but I want to be honest about how I did, right? I, I don't want to just put all the ones that cash for me because I actually ended up having a losing day, particularly in tournaments. This was the lineup that I put into the FFT DFS contest. And for whatever it's worth, it's not like it was last place or anything. It was in the top 100. I think it was in the 70s or something. And it, you know, it goes to show you that if you pick a couple of the right places, uh, pieces, it, you're you're closer than you think. So Lamar Jackson obviously didn't work out, but I played three running backs, Austin Eckler, Ken Walker, Josh Jacobs. We've already talked about them. DK Metcalf, well, that hurt me pretty bad. You know, it, it's it's funny how things turn because DK Metcalf, he goes up, looks like he might have grabbed a touchdown early in the game. All systems go for Seattle and DK Metcalf specifically. And it turns out not only does he not catch it, but he gets carted off. And that's just, that is NFL 101 for you. Like any given Sunday, any given quarter, any given moment, your guy can be out of there. And I honestly think DK Metcalf in, let's see, a 60-point game, how many points do, do we think DK Metcalf would have had in that game? 18, 25, 22, all of that was in play. So that was super unfortunate for me. Nico Collins, kind of a shot in the dark. I needed a salary saver at 4,200. Rashad Bateman was sort of my kind of gimmicky GPP play. I knew eyes weren't going to be on him. And I thought because Cleveland was going to blitz so much that Rashad Bateman would be able to, again, coming off injury and being overlooked, that he would be able to get behind the defense. And I told you on Thursday that the splits with Lamar Jackson getting blitz versus non-blitz, he was really bad against the blitz when Rashad Bateman wasn't playing. But when Rashad Bateman was playing, he was really good against the blitz. And that led me to a lot of Lamar Jackson, Rashad Bateman stacks. Well, it turns out, Rashad Bateman wasn't the X factor in that. It was just the beginning of the season. Lamar was good. And now teams are kind of figuring, figuring him out a little bit. And it's, it's just not a super good look for Lamar Jackson. Yes, he can have the ceiling game, but you know, I'm starting to worry about his floor. I think this will be his worst game of the season. 
outside of an injury, but uh, just a really bad look for Lamar. Just that the offense didn't look right at all. Anyway, so I had that Bateman stack, Foster Moreau, Josh Jacobs, uh, Jets D. Not much to say about this lineup. We talked about all of the guys. DK Metcalf, super unfortunate. Nico Collins, kind of a shot in the dark. I don't regret the Bateman play in GPPs. Uh, he's not a he's not a target monster. We all know that. But I thought there was certainly a possibility that he could get loose for a couple catches, score a touchdown, eclipse 100 yards, and he could do all that on five catches. I, I legitimately thought that, and I knew I'd be head of the field if he had a ceiling game. So uh, don't really regret that. Just you know it, that that lineup didn't get there. So let is let's do um, Mike's GPP. We'll do the FFT DFS contest winner, and then we'll do our early look. So Mike's GPP lineup. This one cashed. As you might expect, 163.7. He had a Geno Smith double stack with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. He had Eckler on the bring back. We talked about that specific stack on Thursday. We talked about the Geno double stack with the Eckler bring back, and you call it a day. And that's exactly what he did. And again, you know, Geno, he wasn't really pushed as hard as he probably should have been. That's two weeks in a row where you think you're probably getting a great Geno game, but the offense on the other side, whether it be Arizona or the Chargers in this case, they just they just didn't do enough. And and so Gino ends up with only 15 points, but he's got Eckler, he's got Jacobs. Again, we talked about them, super chalky, but no problem there. Eckler at only 22%. Pretty good value there, frankly. Uh DK Metcalf, we talked about him in Lockett double stack. And then there's that Jamar Chase guy again. You've got conviction on somebody. Like I had conviction about Jamar Chase two weeks ago. Not so much this week, but Mike had conviction about Jamar Chase this week. And that's what ultimately gets him to the cash. Dalton Schultz, Foster Moreau. We see a lot of two tight end sets for Mike uh, McClure. So super interesting there. Not afraid to do that if it gives you the opportunity to get Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and Jamar Chase, who all could have had ceiling games. All of them could have. Only Jamar Chase did in this case. But to me, this is a tournament winning lineup. This is the type of lineup that can win you a tournament, especially if Foster Moreau gets, just gets a little bit more. And if Dalton Schultz at 8% has a, a ceiling type game against the Detroit defense that was certainly in play especially with Dak's first game back you'd you'd think a lot of the comfortable targets a lot of the easy targets would go to Dalton both in the red zone and between the the 20s so I absolutely love this lineup I think it should have done a lot better but again uh, the Chargers offense being relatively inept and and everything going through Eckler and Metcalf getting hurt that that's just that's not going to do it for you all right let's go to the FFT DFS contest winner M-T-H-M-A-P-G. I hope you're on Twitter. I I need to know what those letters stand for and whether or not we can change your Twitter name so that next time you win a contest, we can rattle off something super catchy. Okay, this is a great number here. 211.04 for this guy, girl, I'm not really sure. Uh, I think we have some female listeners of this show, which I'm I'm super happy about. I I don't know if People really notice, but there's a lot of a lot of females that I know, a lot of girls that I know, women that I know that actually play DFS and who are quite quite good. So I don't think that should be a surprise to anybody. We don't we don't hear a lot from them. So hopefully, this is one of the the girls I'm talking about. Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase, love that. I assume you listened directly to Mike on that one. Austin Eckler, Josh Jacobs, absolutely love that. Romeo Dobbs gets him a zero. Well, this is interesting. You can win a 200 person tournament. And crash and burn completely on a play. I think I think this lends itself to what we talked about at the beginning of the show. And I wish I could remember the name of the person who was asking me on Twitter, but you know, he was asking me about contest selection because he saw this very lineup. And he said, you know, I had a lineup that was similar to this, but you know, it didn't, it didn't, 
it didn't take down any tournaments and, and it barely cashed, I think is what he said. And that goes to, you know, it's one thing to play single entry. I'm assuming this person played single entry based on the way the question was styled. It's one thing to play single entry in, in a 10 or 20,000 person or 50,000 person contest. It's a whole other thing to do it in a 200 person contest. So keep that in mind. Your margin for error is so much better in the smaller contest. And therefore, you know, when Sunday's over, because that margin of error is, is so much better because you can afford to make more mistakes, now you're seeing more green. Now it might not be that 20,000 number that you see when you're entering contests because those those numbers that you see, they are, they are meant to entice you. But if you actually look at the payout details, you'll notice that first place in a lot of them is getting like 40 or 50% of the money and that they're not even paying 2X. They're not even playing two times the entry fee if you min cash. You might notice that they're only paying 18% instead of like 22 or 23%. So looking at the payout details will give you a lot of information that you might not already have. And I highly encourage you to kind of make sure you know when you're entering a contest, how many people are being paid out relative to the other contests you might enter and how much is going to first place. Because if it's an inordinate amount, if it's like 40 or 50% going to first place, well, that probably means all the other places are trash and they're just trying to entice you with that first place number. So please be mindful of that. And just the idea that you can have a bad play. Romeo Dobbs was a bad play. Hand up. I played Romeo Dobbs and I probably recommended him on Thursday if memory serves. And it just didn't work out against of all defenses, the Washington secondary. Romeo Dobbs didn't work out. It's crazy when you actually say it out loud. But the bottom line is in a 200 person contest, you can win a contest and have that on there. You can have Alec Pierce with the snow with the snowflake at 6.7 in a contest like that. Now, granted, he absolutely you know caught the ceiling game from Joe Burrow, but the point is still the same. In a smaller contest, you have room for error because it's not like he's the only one who played Joe Burrow. Oh, by the way, 26.5% in our contest played Joe Burrow, partly because of how much Mike talked about it, but, but also partly because he was popular in a lot of contests, not just ours. Uh, Greg Dulcich, who I know Mike was on, and he kind of got you there almost. Uh, six receptions is certainly solid, especially with Brett Rippon at quarterback. And it's Rippon. It's not Rippian, everybody. Brett Rippon. Also, he's not the son of Mark Rippon. He's the nephew of Mark Rippon. Not that you're supposed to know that, but I know all the Mark Rippon facts because if you, if you see behind my left shoulder here, that's Santana Moss holding up 21 for Sean Taylor in memory of, and I'm a big Washington fan, and I was around when we won with Doug Williams in 87. I was around when we won with Mark Rippon in 1991, and I hold on to those memories because I don't really have any since. It's been uh, quite a few decades at this point. I digress. Ken Walker at the flex spot. Can't go wrong there. Played the chalk at running back. Had the right stack. That'll do it in terms of winning a tournament, especially if you're getting the ceiling game from your stack. Seahawks defense, interesting play there. Uh, I guess uh, I'm, I'm assuming he didn't have money for to go up to like the Jets at 2,600, but Seattle was just fine. Got him seven points. That'll do it. So congratulations to you. Um, congratulations for the takedown. And uh, again, our FFT DFS contest is live as we speak. Everybody enter that on the early side. Uh, we typically fill it up by Friday or Saturday. So I, I want to make sure it's full by Saturday so we can just coast on Sunday and make sure um, we have a 200 entry battle. All right. Now it's the fun part, everybody. We are going to take a quick, quick look at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. I'll even throw in a couple defenses and maybe I'll, maybe I'll throw some, some stuff out for, for showdown for this, uh, this battle of the Titans, or maybe they wish they were the Titans. 
I'm like not even joking. The Baltimore Ravens and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers probably wish they were the Titans right now of Tennessee because it's just not looking great. Uh, Anyway, okay, so let's take a break. We're going to hear a word from our partners and we'll be right back. And we are back. It is our early look for week eight. We've got, I believe it's a, so we have the London game. I think this is, we've got a a 10 or an 11 game slate. Maybe when Zach, when you come on in a second, um, maybe you can correct me on that. But we do have the London game. So for your redraft, the redraft people in here, which is pretty much all of you, uh, go ahead and uh, make sure you have your lineup set, you know, late Saturday night so you don't mess anything up for that London game. Okay, Mike Chavez says, how big is your player pool? Can we pull that question up, Zach, before we go to our early look? Do you have a specific number? The answer is actually no. I wish I had a specific number for you. I have last year, so in our off-season series, we did a bunch of, of, of shows with, you name it, Chris Spaggs, Andrew Erickson, Josh Larkey. Oh, man, I'm going to forget somebody. Debro, Derek Brown, who's amazing. Um, Megan Schaup. Uh, sticks picks, Nick Brettwish. We we did a lot of like great shows. A lot of them were about like early season, you know, players that we liked, you know, that that kind of thing, rookies, things like that. But a lot of it was bankroll management, player pools. You know, so I encourage people to, to. I actually retweeted one of those episodes, Mike, that I think is really important. It's like the second to last tweet I, I've tweeted. You you'll find it super easily. So will the rest of you. But w- with that said, one of the things I promised myself I would do was was lower my player pool. In, in other words, less is more here. So I, I don't have an exact number for you, but I can tell you week to week, I have two to three stacks that I like. I typically have somewhere between like four and six running backs that I like. And I'm not doing the math here, but you certainly could. And this is just a typical week. It's not every week. I have somewhere between, you know, three and six, maybe eight receivers, because sometimes you really need those value receivers in some of your tournaments. So you're you're more prone, more willing to play some of these you know, Nico Collins type players and McCole Hardman type players just to make your lineup work. So usually my receiver pool is, is a little bit greater than the other positions. And at tight end, there's usually, you know, maybe, maybe two to three guys I'm going to use. Sometimes it's it's literally just two and defenses. It's usually one or two, depending on, on the value. You know, I usually have one or two pay down options. I like sometimes I'm willing to pay up just to be contrarian. So I hope that kind of answers your question, but it should give you an idea of the fact that you know, I'm not exactly dealing with like 35, 40 players here. I'm also only playing maybe 10 different lineups in, from a tournament standpoint and one to two lineups in cash, just to give you an idea. And, there, and 10 lineups might be rich. It might be more like seven to eight lineups in terms of like the variations in them. So I might play across 15 contests, but there's only seven or eight lineups that are going in that. And the player pool that I just mentioned in terms of the average number of players, that's that's pretty much accurate uh, week to week. Um I hope that answers your question, Mike. Thanks for the question. I think Mike is a former winner of the FFT DFS contest, by the way. Uh, If you're new to the show, as in you just entered over the last 10 minutes, please hit the like button. Let's bring up the QBs. Oh, that was quick. Zach is way ahead of the game. Okay, so there's only a handful of QBs that I like here. And for the record, I don't go over, over every player during the early look. I just take a look at the players that sort of caught my eye at each position. And then, of course, on Thursday, we kind of dive deeper into the game itself and we we you know, just inherently talk about more players. Jalen Hurts really catches my eyes for obvious reasons, right? He's going up against a pretty bad defense, a, a, a secondary that continues to be banged up. He's 8,300, which is very expensive. But frankly, on this slate, 
while I haven't had a ton of value, I also don't see a ton of great quarterback options, especially quarterback options that will both run and pass the ball. There's there's certainly some quarterbacks here that we'll talk about in a second that I like just to rack up potentially 300 plus passing yards and, and maybe three touchdowns because of the matchup. But in terms of getting both sides of it, the rush and the pass, um, I do like Jalen Hurts. I do like Philadelphia coming off a bye. I do worry that the game might not have the back and forth that we want. So that's something to consider. You know, you always want to have the offense sort of pushing, pushing each side of the ball. Um, I do want to point out, and I should have done this from the from the get go. We have about three totals that are that are over forty eight. Exactly. We have the Raiders at the Saints. That's forty eight and a half. Cardinals at Vikings, forty nine. Dolphins at the Lions, 50 and a half. The next highest total behind those three is only 45, and that's the Giants at the Seattle Seahawks. And all of these games, all of those games that I just mentioned, including that Giants-Seattle game, all have a point spread of three and a half points or less. So it gives us that back and forth that, that we really want. So at least conceivably, it gives us the back and forth that we want. Three of those games have pretty high totals. Again, Raiders at Saints, Cardinals at Vikings, Dolphins at Lions. I have a feeling Cardinals at Vikings and Dolphins at Lions, those are going to be the two most popular games to stack and just to have player involvement in Raiders at Saints probably falls behind them. We still need to kind of hear what's going on with Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston. I think that impacts certain players quite a bit. You know, I think if it's Jameis Winston, maybe a, a, a tick up to guys like Chris Olave, even though he'll do fine with Andy Dalton. But if it's Andy Dalton, maybe a tick up to Alvin Kamara, who we know is going to get the dump down. So those are so, some of the considerations we we need to kind of wait on as we hear uh, injury news. Kyler Murray is the next quarterback that I like here. Listen, I've been on Kyler's case quite a bit. He's 7,500. He's at, he's at Minnesota. It's going to be great game conditions. Vikings allowing a lot through the air. And I got I to gotta be honest. I got to be objective here. I've given Kyler a lot in terms of criticism. But he looked pretty good with DeAndre Hopkins. If he had Marquise Brown, he would have looked even better. I mean, it, it's, it's really unfortunate that Marquise went down when he did. But, man, he really peppered. He really peppered DeAndre Hopkins, who I believe caught 10 or 14 targets and had a 48% target share. Like, stop and think about that for a second. 48% target share is absolutely incredible. And honestly, I, I think he's kind of the safety blanket. Like, no longer is Zach Ertz the safety blanket for Kyler Murray. I think it's DeAndre Hopkins at this point. And those touches are a lot more valuable than, than, than they would be for Zach Ertz. So Kyler at 7,500, I do think this is one of the few spots where I'm going to be willing to play him in what looks like uh, a potential for a ceiling game. So Hertz and Kyler, I probably like the best. The next two that I like, we go all the way down to 6,200. It's interesting because you see here, if you're watching us on YouTube, it's Jalen Hertz, Kyler Murray that are expensive. And then there's a pretty deep drop to Dak Prescott, who I'm not particularly interested in at home against Chicago. Tua, I do like at Detroit because it's at Detroit and this Detroit defense continues to be pretty terrible um, across the board. I do want to point out too, the Lions, I, I suppose out of necessity, they play a lot of man coverage and they blitz a lot. That's that's not going to be a good recipe. That so so let's 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 be clear here. I mean, the defensive coordinator can kind of do what he wants. Play maybe maybe he plays less man coverage. Maybe he blitzes less. But that is not a good recipe for Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and Tua in terms of defending them. I mean, you throw a blitz at Tua and you got man coverage on Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle or honestly even Mike Gusecki. Um, we're talking about rattling off a ton of touchdowns, a ton of yards. So I do like Tua. I like Kirk Cousins as well at home coming off a bye against Kyler Murray. Uh, the Arizona defense. 
They're also allowing a lot through the air. So I think that's going to be a really good game for shootout potential. We've seen Kyler Murray and Cousins let us down before. So it's not a lock by any means, but I do like Cousins uh, and I do like Tua, Kyler and Hurts. Two quarterbacks to keep an eye on. And let's scroll down all the way to 5,000, Zach. I'm, I'm just throwing this out there. Ryan Tannehill does have a foot injury. These foot injuries are tricky. Uh, and I think he left the, the stadium in a walking boot. It wouldn't shock me if he's not playing in this game. I'd like to see how that situation progresses because, listen, I don't think Malik Willis is ready. I don't think anybody does. But he does get the benefit of playing at Houston. Now, he's not going to chuck it around the field, and neither does Tannehill. That's not their offense. But he'll run. And he'll run the he'll he'll do the RPO, he'll do the read options, and Derrick Henry could potentially get his, and Malik Willis could potentially get his. I think it's an interesting speculative play. And oh, by the way, let's go down to four thousand because Sam Ellinger is going to start for the Indianapolis Colts, which I think everybody watching this show knows at this point. He gets to play the Washington secondary. Listen, I, I think this is a spot where. Sam Ellinger could really suffer. I, I think because the Washington defense can actually, they can rush the passer. Like that's something that they do very well. Their back end isn't good, but they can rush the passer. So this could be a bad game for Sam Ellinger or it could be a really good game. And we see Paris Campbell emerging. We see Alec Pierce who has emerged. We see, oh, oh, Michael Pittman. Yeah, he's pretty good. And those tight ends who are likely going to be somewhat of a safety blanket, whether you go with Mo Ali Cox or Jelani Woods or um, who am I forgetting, Granson, like he's got a lot of options. So if if he's good, if he's somewhere between good and a, you know very good at four thousand, it's not going to take much. So it's just something to consider. It's speculative as of right now. Maybe Thursday when Mike gets here, he'll let us know what he thinks about that. Again, it's a nice time to be starting your backup quarterback against Washington because. It's it's just not a great situation. Yes, I do think they're going to run the ball a lot. I don't think they're going to put the game in Sam Ellinger's hands, but he doesn't need to do much to pay off a 4000 price tag. And if you stack him with the right guy, which we don't know who that's going to be, uh, but if you stack him with, let's say, Paris Campbell, who's extremely inexpensive, uh, I'm, I want to check my notes to see where Paris Campbell, he's 4500 and oh, by the way, the last two games, he's, he's had 12 and 11 targets. Now that might change with Sam as the quarterback, but these are things to consider because that's 8,500 tied up at one of your receiver and your quarterback positions. Uh, imagine what you can do after that. Okay, so let's move to running backs. And I'll start with Derrick Henry. You know, I would I would prefer Ryan Tannehill playing this game if I'm going to play Derrick Henry at 8,400, but we can't deny, whether it's Malik Willis or Ryan Tannehill, we can't deny the, the blow-up spot potential for Derrick Henry. I mean, even if Houston is, is just bending and not breaking, at some point they're going to break. And so I, I really like Derrick Henry for very obvious reasons at 8,400. Barkley, uh, 8,100, 8, yeah, 8,100 at Seattle. No reason not to like him. He's getting so much work. Dalvin is interesting at 7,600. I don't think I'm going to get there with him, mostly because as good of a matchup as this is, well, it's not a great matchup, It's but he he's the RB1 on a team that has a very high implied total. He's just not getting the passing work. And, and I want a, if I'm going to pay up for a running back like that, it's either going to be the Derrick Henry type caliber running back, or it's going to be the Saquon Barkley type running back, who I know is good for potentially five to seven targets. And, and Dalvin Cook, he's just not there. Alvin Kamara, I like quite a bit, but I like him a lot better if Andy Dalton is playing. Again, Kamara is at home against the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Ken Walker, no reason not to play him. 6,500 at the New York Giants. I think if he's really chalky, at that number, at that price, I'd be willing to come off of him, actually. 
But if he's not like super chalky, I think that's you're still getting good value. Raheem Mostert at 5,900, I, I like quite a bit. Uh, this is a game strip that that should favor him. He's getting the passing game work too. So long, Chase Edmonds. It's the it's the Raheem Mostert show, both in the running and the passing game. He had 20 touches last week. Uh, he's running pass routes and, and he's going against a team allowing almost five and a half yards per carry. Uh, so at 5,900, I, I think that's great value there. Let's move to and for the record, there's more value on this board. Uh, and you know we'll 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 try to diagnose what's going to go on with with Hubbard and guys like Foreman. And and some of these other guys, maybe Tyler Algier, you're interested in. We'll talk about that more on the Thursday game by game preview. But these are the running backs that have stuck out to me. Uh, let's check on wide receivers. We got Cooper Cup at the top, coming off a bye. Pretty good situation because yes, San Fran is their defense is getting healthier, but their back end still is pretty banged up. And so Cooper Cup coming off a bye certainly could feast. Am I going to get there at 9600? I don't think so. I think I'd rather pay down for Justin Jefferson at home versus the Cardinals coming off a bye than go to Cooper Cup against the San Francisco defense. Uh, The thing about Justin Jefferson, he's been a little underwhelming, particularly in the touchdown department, but that could certainly regress in in a positive way. I think this is a potential blow up spot for Justin Jefferson. I think Kirk Cousins to Jefferson stacks are very much in play. I think you could add somebody else to that, like an Adam Thielen or an Herb Smith, uh, somebody like a kind of a discount player and i think the run back could be deandre hopkins it could be zach Ertz. i mean it, depending on what you can afford because deandre hopkins is priced up a little bit at 7400 but um i do like that stack and, and i do like that run back um Devontae adams at 8600 against the saints i don't mind that at all it's probably not a play i'm going to get to but it's something i'm certainly going to consider tyree kill 8500 at the lions i like quite a bit i just explained why i mean first of all tyree kill is pretty much matchup proof he's coverage proof but against the lions this is, this is, I mean, we're, we're talking, first of all, Tyreek Hill is, I don't know that he's about to set records, but he, his, his yardage at the end of the season, if he stays healthy, is going to be obnoxiously high. And, and this is the type of game where you could see 175 yards and a touchdown from Tyreek Hill. And it wouldn't surprise me at all. So I'm a really, really big fan of Tyreek. If I can somehow fit Tyreek and Justin Jefferson in a stack, I'm going to be pretty happy with myself. So again, we'll see on Thursday whether that's possible. Amon Ross St. Brown, I think, is in a really good bounce back spot. Coming off that concussion that actually wasn't a concussion, 6,900. Again, he's at home playing Miami, who was really, really banged up in the secondary. They keep getting more and more injured in the secondary. So I think if... I think Amon Ra is probably not going to carry a lot of ownership, partly because of the, value, the the players I just talked about, but also because he just hasn't done anything to prove himself over the last few weeks because of the injury and because of being taken out of the game um, as a result of the concussion that that never was. So Amon Ra is a very sneaky play at 6,900. I like Jalen Waddle for obvious reasons as well. We do want to monitor his shoulder injury because he had it last week. He didn't get a ton of targets last week, just something to keep an eye on. Chris Olave is, is clear value, right? At 6,000, whether it's Dalton or Jameis Winston, absolutely love Chris Olave at home against the Raiders. And then we talked about DJ Moore. DJ Moore is going to be a target monster. 5,300 at Atlanta, 10 targets, 7 targets, 8 targets, 11 targets over his last four games. That's not going to go down. There's no Christian McCaffrey. There's no Robbie Anderson. They're just going to force feed him the ball. I love the floor for DJ Moore. And I do think, while I don't anticipate a, quote, ceiling game really ever from DJ Moore, I think you're going to see a lot of fire emojis with him over the next few weeks. I really, really do. So at 5,300, tremendous value there. Paris Campbell, I talked about 12 and 11 targets over the last two games. It's really kind of a coin flip between him and Alec Pierce, but it does look like Paris Campbell is the guy. It's just the problem is with Sam Ellinger in there, we don't really know how that's going to play out with those two guys or with Pittman. 
uh, or with the running game in general. So I, it's it's kind of an unknown there. Marquise Goodwin at 4,400, obvious value, right? No DK Metcalf. Marquise Goodwin had a couple nice high-value catches the game before last, and now he's really getting integrated. He is a speedster, but he's getting open, and Geno's looking his way. 4,400, home against the Giants. Absolutely love that. A flyer, Chris Moore. I mean, the the, the Houston... The Houston receiver course getting kind of banged up. You know, there's going to be a lot of flyers we'll talk about on Thursday. But at 3,500, I thought it was at least worth mentioning Chris Moore um, at home against the Titans. He, of course, plays for the Houston Texans. Let's touch on tight ends real quick. Not a lot I like here. Very little I like, actually. I do like Kittle. Um, I still think he presents a value. He's the most expensive guy in this slate because we don't have the Travis Kelsey's or the Mark Andrews of the world. I do like Kittle at 5,700. I think we need to monitor Debo Samuel's hamstring injury. Let's keep in mind, San Francisco has a bye. Obviously not this week. They're playing, right? Uh, next week. So if Debo Samuel's not practicing this week, hmm, it's a very important game, but they might just sit him out and hope he gets better post-bye. So if he's out, I think that means more targets for Brandon Ayuk. I think it means more targets for George Kittle, and it makes these guys very playable. It might even mean more targets for guys like for, for wide receiver threes on that team. So we'll have to kind of wait and see on that. Um, with respect to the 49ers practice report, but uh, Zach Ertz, I don't love, I like him 5,100. I don't think it's tremendous value. I think it's, it's solid. Um, it's a very good matchup. Clearly uh, on the other side of that Irv Smith at 3,500 is a very good matchup because if you play tight end against the Cardinals, you're probably going to do pretty well. I think Irv Smith is sneaky in sort of secondary players in stacks or, or secondary bring back players in stacks. And maybe you're stacking Kyler Murray with Deandre Hopkins. You want to bring him back with, Maybe Justin Jefferson, and you save some money with Irv Smith, and you just hope that game shoots out. So that's certainly uh, something to consider there. Only other guys I want to mention, TJ Hawkinson at 4,900 um, at home against the Dolphins. Let's monitor the injuries. It looks like Amon Ra is healthy. I think Josh Reynolds is healthy. So that kind of minimizes TJ Hawkinson a bit. I think if you play him, you're just trying to be a little contrarian uh, in that department. But Miami not defending the tight ends well at all. So something to consider. And speaking of Miami, Mike Gusecki at 3,800. Very speculative play, probably a very much a contrarian play, but he does have ceiling potential. The floor is low, but he does have ceiling potential. And against Detroit, I'm willing to speculate on ceiling potential. And and they, um, how are they against the tight end? They are also bad against the tight end. As, as I don't know why I asked that question. I, I guess I was just gauging whether they're bad or really bad. A couple defenses, and Zach, we don't need to hit defense, but uh, the commanders. And the Patriots are, are defenses that jumped out at me. Uh, Patriots at the New York Jets, uh, 3,000. That's just playing the whole Brees Hall is out and Zach Wilson is the quarterback. So that that that's where that going that goes. And Commanders 2,600, that's obvious, right? They're playing Sam Ellinger, who doesn't have very much experience at all. And the Commanders can get after the quarterback. And if they do, then we're looking at some potential here for not only with the Commanders to get some sacks, but to get some turnovers as well. So I, I do think Washington presents uh, quite the value there. Hey, Zach, come on real quick. I wanted to ask you a question just about this week seven slate. Um, but I also want to ask you about, about showdown. Do you want me to give out some, maybe some, some showdown info for this, this Baltimore Tampa game, or should we save that for Thursday? Let's definitely do it. If we, yeah, I think we have time. I definitely kind of touch on that because hopefully it's a good one. Cause a lot of these Thursday games have not been great, but we've got two teams that look great on paper, do not look good on TV. So we'll see how they do on Thursday. Let me ask you, Zach. So Ravens are at Tampa and they're favored by one and a half. And the, and the total is 45 and a half. What's your reaction to that? I think Tampa's kind of freaking out a little bit. I think, I mean, I don't think anybody saw them losing to Carolina no. on Sunday. 
And this is, I think this is a kind of a, a must win game for them. Baltimore, they, they did beat Cleveland. I know they kind of almost blew it down the stretch, but Baltimore, but Tampa, Tampa can't lose this game because they're, they, they have a grasp on the NFC South right now, but it's not that large. And if the saints start writing off a few wins here and there, hell Atlanta, Atlanta could, even though they don't throw, they don't throw the forward pass, they could start writing off a few wins. <laughs> it's not as much of a lock right now that the bucks are going to win the NFC South and they need to kind of get that rolling soon. So my thought there is, I think you're right in terms of like that it's kind of a must win for Tampa. But don't you find that we keep talking about, well, of course, Tampa is going to scorch the Pittsburgh Steelers secondary who has everybody injured. Oh, they, they lost. Well, of course, they're going to scorch the Carolina Panthers who have some of their injuries themselves and aren't a very good defense, as it turns out. And, and, and Tampa has, you know, Godwin healthy and Evans healthy and, you know, all these players at their disposal. Oh, oops, they lose that game. So at what point do we say to ourselves, well, even if we don't put it on Brady, what, like let's not put it on Brady. We don't have to say Brady sucks now or Brady's still great. We don't have to go there. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a team, defensively, they're not that intimidating at this point against the run or the pass. And offensively, not, nothing's really happening. Mike Evans dropped an easy touchdown, but he, he, Brady's not really throwing it down the field. Short area stuff. And it's just, I, I think this line is right. I think, in other words, I think we're all surprised that, that it's, I mean, I think most people think this game should be pick them as opposed to the Ravens being favored by anything. But the reality is I think you could put this at Ravens minus two, minus two and a half. And I wouldn't be shocked because as bad as the Ravens have been, Tampa has been worse. I, I think the question is who's going to figure it out and in what manner are they going to figure it out? So for showdown purposes, Listen, I don't trust Lamar Jackson with any of the pass catchers. I do want to point out that Mark Andrews sat out Tuesday practice. He was listed as, as it did not practice. Rashad Bateman, same thing. This is a Thursday game. We know Mark Andrews had somewhat of a knee injury, and maybe that limited his potential on Sunday. Maybe I underestimated that when I recommended Mark Andrews in the Lamar Jackson stack. But it did seem like all systems go. It did seem like rest days for him. But we do need to monitor the practice reports. And I'm a little intimidated to play Mark Andrews, to be honest with you. And in show for showdown purposes, I don't know that I want to go there. Um, I, I like L Jack's maybe naked, maybe, maybe just with a kicker, maybe with the best kicker of all time and Justin Tucker. I know that sounds a little prisoner of the moment ish with Justin Tucker, but it's really prisoner of the last 10 years. Justin Tucker is the best kicker of all time. In my opinion, he is just absolutely automatic on the Brady side of it. I think you can play Brady in showdown. But I, I think you can leave him out, too. And I think you can play one pass catcher, like Godwin, who's getting a lot of the underneath stuff, who's not doing a lot of the, the – his dot is low, whereas Evans is going to be higher. And Evans is probably going to get – he's going to get the attention from the, the, the top corner. For the record, that Ravens secondary is actually getting a little healthier. They, they haven't been good, but they have been okay the last few games against very tough matchups, like guys like Jamar Chase. They've been not shutting down wide receiver ones, but they've been doing a really good job. So – I think this is a Godwin game. I think it's a four net game. I think it's a Lamar Jackson game. I'm not so sure it's a Brady game. I think you can take flyers on the kickers like Justin Tucker. I think you want to monitor the running back situation for the Ravens, but do I want to like speculate on Gus Edwards getting in the end zone again? Not really. He's not going to catch any passes. I don't know the role Kenyon Drake or Justin Hill, Justice Hill is going to get. So I, I don't know that I want to go there. I think guys like Isaiah likely are interesting if we hear some bad news about Mark Andrews. I think guys like Devin Duvernay are interesting if we hear some bad news uh, from, let's say, Rash Rashad Bateman. And I also think that guys like Deshaun Jackson, if he's active, is an interesting speculative play because they got him for a reason. Let's see if he can stretch the field. Let's see if Lamar Jackson's going to air it out to him. So I think my favorite plays in this one are Lamar Jackson, Chris Godwin, 
Leonard Fournette, maybe Kate Otten, assuming Cameron Brake doesn't come back. And then you just, depending on the injury situations, you, 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 you incorporate an Isaiah Likely. You incorporate a Deshaun Jackson. You incorporate Justin Tucker. I think that's kind of where I'm going with this. Uh, while I want to monitor the the situation with the um, with the targets, especially on the Lamar Jackson side, I don't. I think I just want to play Lamar Jackson naked or with one of those low end options like Isaiah Likely or Deshaun Jackson, unless I hear or or even Duvernay, unless I hear something hard and fast about uh, Mark Andrews or Rashad Bateman. Totally, yeah. I mean, Jackson, as we've seen, we both saw in Washington, he kind of comes in and he's like a flash in the pan, and then he's gone for six weeks. But he could have mm-hmm. two touchdowns and 130 yards on Thursday night before we see him depart. And that's the thing. And I think he's 2,000 on DraftKings. So, I mean, you, you never know what you're going to get from Deshaun Jackson, and the floor is there for zero targets. I mean, it's literally there, like, forget about zero catches. It's there for zero targets potentially. But this Ravens offense has looked very, very substandard. And they need something to mix it up. And they got Deshaun for a reason. And, you know, if, if Rashad Bateman is hobbled even a little bit, to me, it's Devin Duvernay, maybe Mark Andrews. And then it's who else you got? It's James Prochet. It's guys like that. And your newly acquired Deshaun Jackson. So I at least see him getting a couple targets deep down the field. We'll see what that's good for. So that's uh, ask us questions on showdown if you want. And maybe I'll, I'll ask Mike about, you know, his his showdown captains for the record from a captain standpoint. It's the guys I mentioned, right? It's Lamar Jackson. It's Tom Brady. Excuse me, Lamar Jackson, Leonard Fournette, and Chris Godwin. I, I think I think you could play Tom Brady in your captain spot, but I think the way I'm going to go is one of those three guys and then fill out the rest of the lineup from there. Um, Zach, before we go, were there any questions that I absolutely have to answer before we get out of here? I yes. apologize to the chat. Go ahead. Yeah, I see one person who's about to make a horrible mistake. Is this traded London and Khalil Herbert for Mike Williams? I don't know if you saw Sunday. Mike Williams' foot's not looking great. Um, mm-hmm. I know Drake London. I know Drake London's not getting that many more targets than Mike Williams. Mike Williams gonna be out for a little bit of time. Um, I'm not, not sure. You're seven. I know. Ho- hopefully that that win streak keeps on going. Um, I saw one question about um, Alave. So let's see. I was gonna see what you think. What do you think of Alave? He's he's been very. Uh, I guess you could say um, stable through the first seven weeks of the season compared to the other rookie wide receivers. You've seen mm-hmm. London kind of had that one great game. Garrett Wilson have that one great game. John Dotson had that great game. But Alave, even against a, against a good Arizona defense who shut down DK Metcalf, mm-hmm. even though it wasn't really working for Andy Dalton, it was working for Alave. And this guy seems, regardless of who's, who's playing signal caller, he can be a factor. What do you think of him in tournaments um, this week and weeks going forward? Yeah, I like Alave quite a bit. Um, I actually have him on my my sports line team. By the way, that team also has uh, – I think I'm the highest point scorer in, in that sports line league. It's with Jonathan Coach, with, with all the early edge guys. But I have DK Metcalf and Brees Hall on that team. So it was not, it was not a pretty Sunday for me. But I also have Chris Alave on that team. I think he's going to be a target monster. Like he is going to get force-fed the ball because they just don't have a wide receiver too with Michael Thomas out. They just don't. Not that Michael Thomas would be the two in that in that situation, but – he kind of would be at this point. And we, we saw what Marcus Callaway did with a lot of work. He didn't do well. A lot of those interceptions from Andy Dalton, or at least one of them, was directly the result of Marcus Callaway just not catching the ball. So I, I think um, I think Olave is fit for huge production, whether it's Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston. I think it's a I think the upside is there certainly with Jameis Winston more than Andy Dalton, but I absolutely love Chris Olave this week. I gotta say though, I don't mind trading Drake London and Khalil Herbert for Mike Williams. I understand what you're saying about the injury situation, but let's assume he's out. I mean, I, I, maybe you have news that I don't, but let's assume he's out three to five weeks. This dude's seven and zero. Oh. he gets him back for the playoffs. I dropped Drake London just last week 
I, I don't think Drake London has any value whatsoever unless you're in a deep league. And Khalil Herbert, yeah, he's better than D- Darryl, um, David Montgomery in terms of just like raw running ability, but he's not going to see the field more than David Montgomery. He's not going to get more than 50% of the snaps or the rushing attempts. So to me, you're basically trading two guys that, one, in my opinion, that's droppable and one that is kind of more of a stash for a guy that you don't need right now because you're undefeated. And when you get him back, you're going to be entering the playoffs with potentially a number one receiver added to your already great roster. I think I make that trade. And by the way, if, if I'm wrong about the injury, well, oh, darn, I lost Drake London and Khalil Herbert. Like, I mean, unless David Montgomery gets injured, Khalil Herbert, it, it, he's just not going to do much. So I think it's a chance worth taking uh, regardless of whether you have the full perspective on Mike Williams' injury. Yeah, I'm just waiting for the day when they flip Montgomery and they they, they make Herbert the full-time start. He's averaging six yards a carry. Like, you got to get this guy in the game. I don't know why you're not doing it. I mean, they, they, their offense looked great last night, but – down down the line this season, they're going to realize that Khalil Herbert's a better running back. So well, I, I think that would be more likely. That switch would be more likely if the Bears' record was terrible. But it's not. Now they're kind of competing, and I just don't see them kind of turning the page to the future at a point where they're actually still technically in the playoff race. So, And David Montgomery does just enough. And frankly, he ran pretty well. It's kind of like the Zeke Pollard situation, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We know like the starter shouldn't be the starter, but David Montgomery does enough in the passing game and in pass pro, just like Zeke does, to earn at least 50% of the touches. And that's, I think that's what's going to happen the rest of the way uh, for that Bears backfield. So I, I would actually go ahead and, um, and make that trade. And uh, let's see, TTV, I feel like, almost starting Malik Willis in a two QB league. Yeah. I mean, I think if Malik, if you're in a two QB league, you probably don't have many options. I would start Malik Willis if he's actually going to be the starter. So, all right, Zach, I think we should end it there, right? Yeah. Perfect. Can't wait for this Thursday night game. Hopefully it's a good one. Last, last week was surprisingly like entertaining for a game that nobody really expected anything. Andy Dalton had a Winston like game and maybe we'll see Winston soon, but this one should be good because we got two former MVPs who really both need a win. Absolutely. So uh, let me um, check out check out Twitter. Hopefully you follow us all on tw- uh, Twitter because I do want to point out the Thursday game by game preview. It might be just a tick earlier, like maybe like a half an hour, an hour on Thursday, our game by game preview. So keep an eye out for that. We, we like to have you guys in there live. So make sure um, you're dialed in for that game by game preview. More on that in a little bit. But we'll see you Thursday. It'll be me. It'll be Mike McCoy. It'll be all game by game preview for week eight. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We will see you on Thursday.